Today's episode is brought to you by Dunstan Tap and Table Restaurant uh, in Scarborough, Maine at uh, 6 Stewart Drive, Dunstan Crossing, Scarborough, Maine. Uh, you can check them out at dunstantapandtable.com. Uh, great restaurant. It's uh, the kind of place, you know, I like to go if I've got friends, if I, you know, people feel like doing some day drinking and maybe I do or don't. It's a good place to facilitate all kinds of people because everybody wants to hang out, you know, eat some mussels. Eat some wings. It's a good space. You can kind of stretch your shit. You're a tall drink of water. You got to stretch it out a little bit. And they got room for you to do that. They do all the distancing for you. Uh, but Dunstan Tap and Table, uh, really diverse menu. Definitely better than going to Fun Town. Uh, they have amazing pizza. They just kind of launched the pizza program. I always talk about their wings. I won't shut up about their wings because I actually think they're delicious and I eat them and I love them. Yeah, check it out. Dunstan Tap and Table. And they are at 6 Stewart Drive. Dunstan Crossing is Scarborough, Maine. Uh, check them out at DunstanTapandTable.com. Uh, the phone is area code 207-219-8024. If you haven't checked it out yet and you want to support uh, the show, both uh, the Fukuma Podcast and Fukuma My 70s Kitchen, you should check out our Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, there are three different tiers of membership, all named after Roman emperors. Whatever one you want to be, step it up. Uh, really fun perks. Uh, you get a lot of videos early. We post a lot of bonus videos. Uh, you get the recipes on a really nice uh, PDF that I take the time to write out and make pretty for you with an additional shopping guide. Uh, and then if, if you're, uh, our third tier, our Caligula tier, $10 a month, only $10 a month, uh, also puts you in the running for uh, the Fukuoma Cookbook, uh, which we are working on and hope to have published uh, this coming fall. So check it out, patreon.com. You won't even miss it. Just sign up, you know, and it helps us out. I mean, all the money goes right back into the show. Uh, and you know what? We're going to make the show anyway, but we'd love your help in the process. Thank you. Welcome to the Food Coma Podcast. Uh, I'm here tonight, today, with Josh Pataki, a.k.a. Jesus Pataco, <laughs> from back in the day, uh, co-owner of uh, Bread and Butter Catering, uh, Southside Bakery, and 158 Bakery in South Portland, Maine. Thanks for being on the show today, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. We're glad to be here. I mean, we're, we're, we're just, you know, we're hanging in your clubhouse, 158. Yeah. Also glad to just be here, still here, yeah, like with this a lot place. Of memories here, I mean, man. I mean, we're fucking twenty years this year. Yeah, which is like mind blowing. You know, <laughs> I like literally watched babies be born here, and now they're like twenty years old, <laughs> now like still old coming. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? But like, uh, you know, super stoked to be here with the business still. Obviously, like, you know, it's a bagel empire. It's man. been it through several recessions. Yeah. Well, that's because bagels are recession-proof. Yeah, they are. And like they're a donuts. staple. They're a staple, you know, even if the somebody's baking bagels, even if there's no business at all, it's like a currency. <laughs> that's right. If right? there's barter happening, yeah, yeah bagels, bagels are definitely... Are and they have been for They're like centuries. $5 bills. Totally. Perfect. Now, um, earlier we were talking about dancing yes. and how you and I were both sort of into the rave culture back right. in the 90s. Of course, you called it, you know, there are parties. 
Yes. Like, people who called them raves, you were like fucking posers. Yeah. Like, you know, house but now party. you have to say rave because nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. No. Um, They're like, no. I love that hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how wide are your jeans? 62 inches. These are gats. They're much yeah. better than Jenkos. Jenkos. Um, so, and I was saying, you know, I used to like to dance. And then even after that, my early 20s, living in Chicago and, and in Portland, like I would actually go out like dancing. dancing. Yeah. And, and it was a subculture and wasn't I mean, it was just culture, wasn't it? Yeah. People just danced. There was always like the complaint was like, there's no cool places to go totally. w- with like good music that wasn't like a shit bar or yeah. whatever. Or you have to go on a certain night, you know, it'd be like yeah. certain nights. You're like, you're like I don't go on that I night. Find a place on Goth a fucking night. Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like to dance. Why? Yeah. Cause you have to go to like a real city for that. You right. Know? We had Zoots and Zoots was gone by the time I was in my twenties. Yeah. Cause that was like every night, you know, one to three. One to three for uh, the uh, under twenty one crowd, yeah, uh, or eighteen and, and under. But and I was saying that you know these days uh, it's changed for me. I have a policy with uh, my old roommate uh, John Dietz where we both like you know generally these days if you see me dancing, uh, there's a good chance that I'm blacked out. Uh, there's just not a lot of there's not enough joy in my life for me to want to go out and celebrate and dance amongst the people. I know, but you know, every now and then, you yeah, know, you get the right combination of things. Yeah, Chris, together. you saw me dance recently at a at a at a thing I cooked. I cooked at this thing, and I was invited to dance with the people after you know wearing masks, of course. And um, you saw me dance. Yeah, I was. I mean. Yeah, if there's evidence of me dancing and I think uh, singing Four Non Blondes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Great track. Yes. And they'll make you dance sometimes. My goal for 2021 is to get Kelly Franklin uh, to be a dancer. Like a dancer? Or no, just dancing. Oh, like rhythm is a not dancer. Not like a dancer or somewhere. Okay, not, not like a working dancer. Not like a private dancer. <laughs> not a private dancer. Uh, well, maybe, Kelly. Um, but yeah, Kelly, you if, you, if you're hearing this right now. Yeah, can you, can you come on over at 158? Yeah. We're hanging out. We got, this isn't live, but when you hear it, uh, you know, we just check if we're still here. We might be. We really don't know. The door code is uh, hashtag private dancer. Yeah. And uh, we'll play, you know, we'll put on some club bangers like Four Non Blondes, you yep. know, and just like get We'll be place. dancing. Yeah, it'll be going <laughs> off. And then we'll be through dancing and we'll be back to talking. Um, so, Josh, we have a shitload of history together yeah. as far as in, and I hate to use, I don't like to use the word like food world, food scene, but kind of that's, that's what, that's what brought us together. Yeah. And it's uh, actually, you were earlier, you're talking about kind of getting your start back in the day in, in Montana. Yeah. That's where things kind of... Yep, that's where, I mean, I, I, I kind of cook food, you know, all through, like, pretty much starting at 17, 18 years old, worked at this, like, banquet, like, hotel uh, in Pennsylvania, mostly because I wanted a ski pass, yeah. you know, and it was the only, only thing around there, and uh, I went there and, like, kind of got into the scene there, you know, which was cool. I learned so much there uh, just about hotel, restaurant, life and and putting out like 300 dinners you know plating dinners or whatever setting up for banquets and and the scene i got i got pulled into the kitchen after a couple of years there you know proper french technique happening so i learned a lot of those basic skills there which was awesome i kind of like didn't even know it until later when i left there but yeah, uh, it's very conducive to the lifestyle when you're doing yeah. it and then all of a sudden you're like wow i, I have skills yeah. yeah wow I, I don't know why i cook this this way but it's because of that so that was, I, you know, 
have that French, you know, base, which was awesome. Um, from there, you know, I kind of just, I mostly wanted to do some snowboarding, you know, like I was, like I said, I went down, I lived in North Carolina for a while, kind of got in a rave scene. It was getting a little dark. Parties. Yeah. Just partying, <laughs> like living to party, you know, and like dance and just get effed up all the time. Uh, and there was, it seemed like a kind of a dead end. So I mean, that's a full-time job in itself though. It, yeah, it was, it but is. it was taxing and it got, it was getting dark and I was like, I got to get out of yeah, here. Yeah, You end up in one K hole too many. And, yeah. You know. And you end up in the ultimate K hole <laughs> slash six feet under bro. <laughs> that is the ultimate K hole. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I kind of, I was like, I gotta get out of here. So my sister and her husband were hiking the Appalachian trail, got on it with them, did that most of the way hiked here to Maine. Uh, and basically after that, I went home with nothing to do. My buddy's like, I'm moving to Montana. Like my ski buddy from home. He's like, I'm moving to Montana next week, dude. I was like, he's like, you can get a job over the phone. I got hired over the phone. I was like, okay, call the dudes. Uh, and they were like, yeah, can you cook or whatever? I'm like, yeah, I can cook. How about breakfast uh, in the lodge? You know, like, I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> great. Yeah, you sure know, well. sure. Yeah, great. <laughs> So I got in the car a week later with him and went to Montana, you know, moved there uh, and worked like, you know, it was, it was a scene. It was like going to college with uh, no school. I mean, Montana's like a lawless town, right? I mean, well, yeah, it was, it was pretty lawless and the ski scene was very lawless. Like we got up there and it's literally like, you know, super rich people coming to this mountain and us like Hessians running everything. <laughs> yeah, right. And these kids are from all over, you know, the Northwest and whatever. And we stayed in these dorms. So, you know, it was a party every night, no matter what. So coming home to chill, not an option. Uh, you have to like leave the mountain or go stay somewhere else off mountain because it was just insanity. In yeah. yeah. And at that point I kind of came off the trail there and I was like, I was pretty physically in shape and I kind of moved to Montana to actually snowboard and not just get fucking wasted. Uh, so I was kind of like a little disheartened because I was like, dude, I just want to ride. And like, you know, everybody's just getting crushed all the time. And so whatever, I got through that. Next year, I bought, a, I bought like a motorhome when I was working in Georgia. And I drove back out and lived in the motorhome in the parking lot for a while. Uh, for like two years, just so I, you know, had my spot there. I could go party in the dorm or party with friends. But I could also just go back. Back in have, Montana. Yeah. You brought the truck back. Yeah. Yep. I had my space there. So that was amazing. And then... Uh, couple, like last year I was there, I went down and moved to Bozeman with this girl and I uh, got a job with this, uh, this, this cafe. Uh, it was so awesome called the Sweet Pea Cafe. This guy, Charlie Totten was the chef there and he had worked at Lebec Fen in uh, Philly, I believe. You know, one of the top rated French restaurants in the country and he's for running sure. Sweet Pea Cafe. And he was running, yeah, he's running this cafe. <laughs> he moved out there with his wife and they had a kid and like, I went in there just to get a job as a dish dog for a month because I was going to travel to Peru. So I'm like, ah, they had a, they had a job. I was like, yeah, I'll just take it. But then I got in there, dude, and I saw what they were doing. It was like sick croissants. Like he was like spray painting chocolate on cakes. You know, like he was doing all this crazy shit. Yeah. And I could see his technique. This is the late '90s. Yeah, yeah. late '90s. I was just like, whoa, you know. And right at that point, I was like, you know what? I think I might stay here just because like I can see what I can learn here. You know, I didn't even tell him I knew how to cook at that point. I just, like, took the dish job. <laughs> you know, and then, obviously, like, somebody didn't show up for brunch. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can cover. And then they're like, whoa, 
well, you, you seem like you know what you're doing. You want to do that. Yeah, you want a job at night? Yeah, so I did that, got into the bakery. I stayed there for like two years, dude, and it was awesome. I learned so much there. Uh, he had like amazing technique, and he was kind of like a, you know, he was kind of a, a modernist before that happened. You know, he, yeah. he, he knew the chemical side of everything, too, which I've never really met in a chef at that point. So I was just like, whoa, dude, like, this is cool. And I feel this like is... that's a real baker. I mean, that's like, yeah. it, it is science so much of, mm -hmm. of baking, especially bread. Yeah, he crossed mm -hmm. over there and he used it. You know, his technique was awesome. And, and the flavors that he was putting out were was insane for that time. So I stayed there, did that. You know, and then eventually I like kind of, you know, I, these guys, I answered an ad in the paper. It was like, hey, we're looking for a cook for our family for Christmas. You know, and they kind of pushed, I was like, oh, maybe I should do this, you know? And I was like young, I was pretty young as a cook and I had never done anything by myself. Um, so they kind of pushed me. I was like, should I do this, you know? And everybody's like super supportive in the restaurant, you know? And like, so I went up and took an interview and like they hired me to do this job. You know, it's like 10, 12 people um, for Christmas for like a week, lunch and dinner. Which now to me, that seems like you know, that's what I do at home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's basically your life now. It's like my life every kid. day, yeah. and it's like, right. I, whatever. But, like, uh, so I, you know, I did it, and they all supported me. Like, they bought me a knife, and, like, they made cards for me to, like, you know, promote me doing this, which was really cool, you know? I don't know. Yeah, totally. That extra support was super huge for me at that point. And, like, I didn't know if I could do it, you know? <laughs> like, I didn't yeah. know. And them saying you can do it, like, really helped me do it, and... So it's like you got to fake it till you make it. Kind yeah, of totally, thing, dude. You know? And I've done that all throughout my career. But, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. it works. And you just got to be confident that you can do it. And I think uh, following through is is the part. It's like, sure, I, maybe I'll have to work 20 hours straight. But you know what I'm not going to do? Not make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's something, of course, you know, the older you get, that kind of ambition goes right away. Of course. But, <laughs> of course. But, yeah, in, the, in, the, in your early 20s, it's, and it's like I've always kind of wondered why – you know, I get it in a lot of, in some ways, but like the, the idea of going to culinary school to me was always like, why would I pay to do this when I could just work in a restaurant and learn it on the job and get paid and get paid and you learn the way it's done in the real world anyway. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are certain fundamentals and basics that I'm sure culinary school drives home, you know, Certainly. classic French technique, Certainly. but, but I think you can't gain out there right on this, on the job. Right. Because I was working with kids coming out of the you know, CIA, and like they come in, and we'd be like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like We're cooking around them. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? I worked with a couple <laughs> of those guys. I remember and they were like, the worst are the ones who come from that, and they're like, they go and they major in like front of the house. And you're like, you went to school to be a fucking waiter? Right. And like, right. And I remember or one of them like telling me I worked at this like steakhouse, and there was this CIA kid, Johnny, I think his name was, and he like... Was trying to tell me that the way you're supposed to open wine is you put the bottle on the table, on the table, and put the corkscrew into it. I'm like, no, that's not how no. you open wine. And he's like, well, it's a CIA. It's how we do it. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's I mean, not the way it happens. It's like anything, honestly. I think college in general, unless you're going to be an engineer, uh, a lawyer, a surgeon. Yeah. You know, I feel like you're better off just learning on the job. Definitely. I mean, if you look at college in general, it's like, okay, you, you go through high school. Everybody's like, what do you want to do for your, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Uh, preferably not one <laughs> yeah. thing right. ever. How long are we talking? Yeah. Are we talking <laughs> 40 years? <laughs> Cause that's what I my got. dad did, but I'm like, F that. I'll I'm do not doing that. Too. I'm not fucking years, doing yeah. that. 
I've had a, yeah, I want a different job all well, the that's time. That's a different generation than we're from. It is. I mean, people don't, people our age in you know, the 40s don't do that anymore. Nope. Like, nobody no, stays in a that. job for 40 years. It's not even available, like, really anymore. Yeah, like, nobody works their way up to, like, no. supervisor to manager no. to, you know, it just doesn't. Nope. Now you can just go on the internet and like be be like, oh, let's watch this video game and just comment on it yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Or you just lie. Like, I have management experience, definitely. Yeah. And you no, go right to the top. 20 years. Yeah, no. Yep. Hire me on. Yep. Yeah, I'm ready to come ready to work like tomorrow. <laughs> like ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I met you back in, uh, and I believe it was 2003. So you had started 158, yeah. the old incarnation. I met yeah, you when you were, you were the bread guy. And you would deliver to a market side grill yeah. and the public market, yeah, which I talked about back. so many times on this because I've, I've always, there's just been a lot of guests on the show I mean, that have had some association. That's where I met Chris the Kern, you know? Yeah. And Tiger was, was yep. those two were there. Yeah. Krista doing the desserts. That's yeah, just like, that's I, was I, like her. I was this like, this is whoa. insanity. Um, she's good. And when she's, yeah, well, she'll be on the show soon and we'll talk all about that. But like, yeah. um, so I remember you used to come in and you used to deliver bread. And I like that place because A, your bread was awesome. And this is like a time when everybody was using, I mean, no, not a knock on it, but everybody standard. was standard baking. Yeah. Because yeah. that was so, all there was, I think. Right. So it was nice to see like another bakery. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like that we kind of like, we cut the bread to order and everything, totally. you know, for it was, the it was a style four customers thing. we had every night, you know, they yeah. got fresh bread. Yeah. Um, Great. <laughs> you know, we probably got a lot of breadcrumbs there, I'll bet you. <laughs> just, just More backed than likely. Up. Yeah. And then I, uh, so I didn't see you for a while. Like we didn't really hang on. Then I, I, I kind of... Uh, Caught back up with you a few years later working at Bar Lola. Yes. Uh, and you were there, and actually Eric Desjardins was there. Yeah, the that's... Same, and Christian Krieger, right? I think you yeah, were all Yeah, me and Krieger, I mean, we opened that with Guy and Stella. Because like, Guy was part of the, the bakery here. Yep. Actually, yeah, Guy baked here, you know, for a while. And then we had, we'd start a dinner program here, which was pretty rad. I think it was for a year, maybe two. I remember the dinner program here. Yeah, it was awesome. I never got to come to it, but it was people still talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we got, you know, I think tones. we were gunning Bon Appetit pretty quickly. Like, at this, and I was, like, serving, like, you know, a snowball with maple syrup on it or, like, yeah, yeah for dessert. And it was, like, like, super homey food. Yeah, you bring your own wine and, like, just, I don't know, at that point, I was doing, like, American. You know, I was, I was coming back to American comfort. Yeah. Like, Quite a bit before it, ha- it re-happened. Because you can see that kind of re-happened in the food scene. Oh, yeah. But you, you know? did it in a different way. It was yeah. much more... It wasn't, like, ironic or no. tongue-in-cheek. It was just, it was like... like grandma's dish. This is what I want to make. And it had that sort of warmth of, like, late 90s restaurants. Yeah. And kind of like... And I always hear about it. But it was like... You did, it wasn't many nights a week. And I don't yeah, remember what... I think I, I worked, like, three restaurant jobs at a time back then. Totally. And we didn't really get to... So Bar Lola was for a while, and you had kind of gone off to do uh, something else, or actually focus on this. Yeah, we opened Bar Lola. Yeah. And you had the, I remember the mac and cheese. Yeah, the mac and cheese. That was the M-A-C-K-I-N cheese, which was made with the double Gloucester uh, herb cheese. That's two shorts recipe, you know. (laughs) It has to be. Got to be mac and. I was like, mac and dog. Josh is making funny menu names before people are doing that. <laughs> See, that's good. So you're out of your time. You know, you're cooking grandma's food here, but you know, still leaving your mark on menus. Oh, yeah. And you guys had like another like cocktail where you like crushed up a grape emergency and like yeah, rimmed the, the glass, ape. the grape ape. Yeah, that was my like Stella was like, we're gonna submit cocktails. Over I thought maybe a, you had a hand in that. We're gonna pick who who you know what's the best. 
like the staff did. Yeah. And I made that one up. I don't even know where I saw that, but the pop rocks, dude, on yeah. the top. I couldn't get them because I rim it with like water or whatever, and you put it in the pop rocks, and they start popping. I was like, what? How am I going to do this, dude? And then I read about they won't pop with like oil, some kind of oil. So I would like. I can't remember if it was spraying or something or Spritz, like, you atomized or like it. it. Yeah, atomized basically it. atomized dude, it. And Grant Ackett's has nothing on you. Like you were, <laughs> I mean, so ahead of yourself. Yeah, dude. It was a cool. It was like, <laughs> how do I get the pop rocks on the drink and not have the pop? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand. I mean, it was like the lane. It was like pre-lane. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was pre-purple drink. And then, kind of, I mean, it, I guess I'm, I'm definitely skipping a few years at a time here, but. Yeah. You know, then the Portland, we, we did kind of call it a scene. Like when Deathmatch started, it Gotta was be- like a time when everybody who worked in restaurants, there was a certain, and it's funny, I actually unearthed, um, so I'll talk about Deathmatch in a second, but I had unearthed the, uh, the New York Times did an article on us in 2009, remember that? Yeah. And they had come to Portland. And you were actually quoted in an article as saying, I wouldn't call it a competition. I'd call it a collective. We're all trying to raise the level of food in Portland to insanely high, yeah. which we were. Yeah, we were. You know, it had nothing. It was just a very different scene. And I don't know what, I don't remember saying this. I said, uh, <laughs> well, as the chefs here feed off one another's work in a way that's impossible in larger cities, Portland population is about 65,000, constantly eating in and commenting on one of those restaurants. Uh, and I said, I've made enemies for sure, said Joe Riccio, a bartender who makes Vietnamese pho on his days off, has a weakness for flaming scorpion bowls, and writes a blog titled Portland Food Coma. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess I, I don't know where, I don't remember saying that. I don't know what enemies I was, dis, I was talking well, about. Well, you know. I would go on to make some. There's probably. a few enemies here and there, but like. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I, I yeah. don't remember referencing them. So, and what got me all of a sudden, I think, you know what happened was the enemies came because. You know, we were all, you know, all the quote-unquote chefs and everybody is doing their thing. And then we started doing Deathmatch. Yeah. Which were, as I've talked about on the show a lot, these crazy parties. You were pretty much, you haven't been involved in every one, I think, except Japan you weren't Yeah, no, I was not. Um, And I think people were angry because I was getting press with, and being associated with Portland. Yeah. And I'm not like Dana Street or or Sam Hayward or whatever. But that was a, that was a very special thing is like, you know, right there it broke off that you don't need to have a restaurant. No. You, we just had a private party, which is way cooler than any time you go out to eat. And we didn't call it a fucking pop-up. That wasn't a term. It was a, it was a party. It was like us hanging out. Yeah. But you invited it with a, you put structure around that, I think with the death match. So it was like. Okay, you know, it was like an invitee-only thing, and obviously chefs with egos want to do that. And it was great not inviting a lot of those chefs, too. Sure. And that being like, I want to come, and you'd be like, no. But also also bringing those chefs together, because nowhere else did that. Like, you know, chefs, obviously, in general, maybe not now, there's a lot of collaborating going on, which I think is awesome, same, like, within music and it's stuff like that. It's very different, though, But, yeah. like, back then, you know, you don't just, like, we, you need to cross paths with those chefs, and you either respect them or you don't. You're not usually hanging out with them. You're not like cooking with them. So I thought that brought everybody together on a level where you could actually hang out and talk. And then the commonality of it was awesome where you're like, oh, you know, these people are me. Like we're all going through the same thing, fucking restaurants in Portland. And it started out like the first one was like a lot more like line cooks, although we had like, you know, Eric and Krista and everybody. 
But then as of the second one, I'm all of a sudden like, oh, the boss is coming to me being like, I want to cook this, yeah. next, this next one. Yeah. And then, you know, basically being like, I'm not giving anybody who works for me the day off so I can do it. And they can't, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I was like, okay, that's kind of hilarious and kind of cool. Um, but noticing up and coming cooks too. Like you have oh, an eye totally. for that. You're yeah. writing these cooks who are like maybe actually better than where they're at. Or they, yeah. they're not getting the creative freedom that like, they like, need. Like Peeper and people yeah, like that. Dude, yeah, dude, those guys like who are, they got the, you know, the, the green light. And you're like, holy shit, dude. These guys are all in. They go all in. There's and you're no, like, it's next level. Yeah. People would show up and then it's one of those things where it's like if you, you should come to one baby before you make a dish to see how serious we are about it. It's not just some, you know, toss some stuffed mushrooms together or whatever. Totally. <laughs> like bring them over. And I thought, you know, what made it, and what, what's hard about, what made that really cool in my opinion, um, that's it's hard to do now, even with when, when you will talk about when you did Pocket Brunch after, yeah. is we didn't, we basically just went broke with everyone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we never charged anything and people weren't like, once you kind of make it an event where people can buy tickets, it's different. and you lose control of the that, guest list, that changes it. the whole party changes, the dynamic changes, yeah, the whole and thing. then the same people start showing up because they're the ones buying Because the you opened it to the public. Right. And uh, we never opened it to the public. No. And we were like, I think by the end, we're like, okay, if you're not contributing in some way, then if you, you want to throw us 40 bucks, cool. If not, whatever. Yeah. Because we're literally like negative 10 grand on this party. Totally. I mean, we had yeah. this with Caswell Pigros too, like when we started that Pigros. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We did that for almost 10 years running. Yep. S same thing. Like the first one was like 50 people, like all the homies from Street Company and 4th Street and everybody. And like, you know, they start growing and growing. And then we're like, Dude, we got to charge. And then it's just got, you know, it was like 350 people showing up, dude. And we're like, you know, blasting off fireworks, uh, tripping on mushrooms. Like, you know, still the no fight ever, you know. Well, that's cool. unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Unbelievable. I mean, it is the one thing. There haven't been, you know, with the exception. No. That's because I think people started in the mid early on, you know, 2005 and six, they started taking their grievances online and anonymously. For sure. And that's when they started attacking people yeah. as like fake accounts and stuff, yeah. uh, which was entertaining to, to watch, I guess, even though you always knew exactly who it was, not mentioning names. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that the key to a great party and the key to a great event and what, you know, and, and that, that doesn't, that's the difference from like pop-ups and all this like outstanding in the field shit and the secret supper and all this fucking stuff. It's just like, we invited the people. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't That's come. why it was cool. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> and, and it's not like, you know, $250 a ticket and you show up no. and you sat next to somebody who's fucking annoying as shit. You know, it's like everybody here and it's like if you and you know what if you come and people are annoyed with you you're never coming back yeah I think it's probably a lot like how Studio 54 like started and that's why Studio 54 was cool exactly but they also ran into that same problem because like eventually they had to start screening people and people are like well we're what we're not good enough to come in there and disco dance people can't you're like, like no, handle the fact you're that not. they aren't good enough you're not you're not cool <laughs> you're gonna be a dick <laughs> Yeah. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. It's like that culture with, with the whole, like, trophies for all the kids now. Yeah. Not just the winners. You don't got to earn one. No. You just get Everybody's one a winner. participating. I don't agree with this concept. No. And Deathmatch was not about everybody being a winner. And I remember another thing that'd be like, people would show up. There wasn't even a win. I'd be like, oh, you know, you're thinking, because I keep control over the numbers, because we need to know, because, like, of telling the cooks, because everybody's buying their own food, like, you yeah. know, we didn't know how many people are coming. And somebody would show up with like four people I didn't know. 
And it basically would be like that scene in Goodfellas where they shows up with a fur with a Cadillac because he just got married. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Who are these people? Like, yeah. What the hell is this? Like, well, you think we got plates for them? Yeah. Like, what are they? What are they? Well, your friends aren't eating. And Sorry, you know what? Bud. Some of those people end up being really cool, and they end up being invited to the next one. Like, <laughs> and you, yeah, you don't invite that you know, the friend back. <laughs> yeah. You're like, actually, friend, yeah. you, you <laughs> could just gone. fuck you. Your like, friends eat <laughs> them back though. They're pretty cool. Um, so the death match went really far. I mean. I'm going to spend a second on it because you were such an integral part of it. And I mean, the first one you showed up at and there happened to be a deer heart there and you just like the foie gras one, you, you made the only non foie gras course because you just happened to be there and there was a deer heart and you're like, I'm going to roast this thing. Yeah, I cooked and it, it was up. fucking amazing. I cooked it up. That deer heart was awesome. And so the next one, when we decided to do deer death match venison, we're like, and then, and, and so we're like, okay, we'll have like 60 people instead of 35 people. We're going to get all this deer. We're going to have like, you know, 15 chefs. This would be burned in my brain forever, FYI. And I know yours too. Yeah. And probably what, Eric Desjardins? And Dietz and Courtney, yeah. And, and Dietz uh, and Courtney. Yeah. Like this is like a imprint on yeah. your brain what happened with and this And we one. thought until the, so the party was on Sunday. <laughs> and we thought up until that Friday before. So I have all these people coming uh -huh. to my house. Like I've rented Big Buck Hunter for like, you know, like everything's done up in camo and orange. And until that Friday, we thought we were getting our deer through like 4th Street. Yeah, yeah, and all of yeah. a sudden, they're just like, yeah, it, we couldn't get it. It like fell out. It like fell through all this deer. And we're like, yeah. wait, what? I got a phone call from you. Yeah. Being like, dude. <laughs> There's no venison. Can you get us a deer like tomorrow? Yeah. And I was like, dang, dude. Yeah. So I was like, like, if I was in Pennsylvania, I could make that happen for <laughs> sure. I almost was going to call my brother and be like, hey, dude, I need you to ice a deer and drive it up here. I'll give you like 300 Stack. bucks. Yeah, and yeah, he like would right do now. it. He would do it. That's yeah. my brother. But like, I was like, eh. And then I called some people or whatever. I called Martha. I remember Farm Fresh Connection to yeah. be like, yeah. Martha. Because I knew she had some you know, outreach in that world. Right. And she was like, oh, there's this, there's this place down south. Shapley. I, what was that place called? It was day? called um, freaking Red Stag something. Oh, my God. It was in Shapley. Yeah. It was Edgar and his wife. I can't remember his wife's name. Well, we I got can't. in touch with them. Yeah. I remember we got in touch with them, and they're like, yeah, we, we have deer. They're this much, yeah. whatever. And we're like, okay. We'll take two of them? Yeah, we'll take two, I guess. Like, okay, well, come on down. You can you can skin them and break them down. Yeah, and we're, like, we're like, cool. Okay, so we go in, and, and this is like, so Thursday we arrange it. Friday, me or myself, Josh, uh, Courtney... Laura, who's this uh, chef yeah. still in there? Is at, yeah, uh, Woodford. Woodford F&B. Uh, Eric Desjardins and John Dietz. And it's like a rainy, gloomy day. And we go drive out to Shapley. It's about an hour away from Portland. <laughs> and the first part of this is we name, well, they're all red deer. German, yeah. German red deer. So. Which are a cross between an L, like a stag and a, and a, a whitetail or something. But they're like 300 pounds a piece. Yeah. Remember? They weren't just one, a whitetail. It like, was Ilsa and Elsa. I think are the two, totally. the two deer we picked up. Yeah, so these are big deer. I remember I have the receipts still. I, I was going to bring the book, like but I forgot it. Yeah, there were like 800 pounds of, you know, prior oh, oh, to yeah, whatever. Boned at, like, with bone. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, well, you guys got to help. Um, he, I'll shoot it in the head. And I remember I had to hold, you hold the, the shield. shield. Yeah. Like, somebody, did you cut its throat? Somebody had to cut its throat. Yeah, yeah. I definitely cut some throat. But that like, was you. Yeah. So the deer were like in the corner, shoot it. Dark, I'm holding the thing is pounding against the wooden shield. I'm holding that up, and then somebody slits bleed the deer's out. throat. Yeah, yeah, bleeds bleed it, it out. out. And the next thing you know, we're string the deer up. But meanwhile, like what? I don't think any of those people at that time had seen something like this. I had never seen right? anything like that. I don't think like any that. of them. Nope. 
Um, I had kind of grew up doing this stuff. Like, I Which mean, it's is why not, you were the one with the knife. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it's not a good, I, I don't like the feeling of it, but I know it's necessary. Like, I don't like, you know. Well, it wasn't I, like inhumane. I mean, it was like just no, the way it's, it's done. it's what you do, yeah. dude. And I like, I, I grew up doing that with my dad, like very young age, you know, like grandma's chick chopping off chicken's heads at like, I was doing that at like six years old. Yeah. So it was nothing, you know, to me to do that. Or my dad would get a pig with his, you know, crazy buddy from Czechoslovakia. <laughs> nice. Yeah, a butcher from Czechoslovakia with like, you know, he had like, I don't know, like this. His fingers, fingers look like this. <laughs> he had like five fingers on both hands and he'd yeah. still rock the knife. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, so we kill He has a, all the fingers he needs. Yeah, yeah. We killed a pig with that dude once with me and my brother and broke it down and all that. And like, you know, and deer hunting was part of my growing up. So like. And you grew up in a town like in the movie The Deer Hunter. That's right. So Gunning brothers. animals, killing animals. Like, you know, that's, that yeah, was cool. Just, and it was, it's a great thing to share uh, with people and like for them to experience, I think, to have connection with food in general. Like, oh. you know, it's like, holy shit, dude. Like that animal had to die. So it's like, you see that happen. Yeah, I say this a lot with like video gaming and whatever with like my boy or something <laughs> where it's like, okay, where's your disconnect with like killing that animal? Like, you know, you, what, you felt something when we did that right inside. Like you were like, holy shit, dude. That's like, it's like a physical connection to that. Whereas like maybe a video game, you're just blasting whatever on there. Well, of course you, you don't have a physical connection no, to that. Zero. There's no feeling. So I don't know. It's, uh, it was really cool, dude. And we got those deer and. Well, if it imprinted in your mind after growing up, you know, yeah, you imagine yeah, what it yeah. did to us. Like, yeah. we're all just like, and again, the fact that it was this rainy, dreary day. So we strung them up, and uh, you put their head, it was like in a bucket, yeah. basically. Got it up. And so you guys are skinning it. You and Eric, I remember we were doing the skinning. John, I remember John and the hacksaw. I, didn't, I, I took pictures. I got yeah, some great got shots. Yeah, we got some good pictures, Great dude. shots of it. And, um, I'd love to see those. But I remember there's this one shot. And I got it right at the time, and it's your face. You nicked the stomach of one of them. I've never smelled anything like that. No, it's not good in bro. my life. That was one of the most, like I, I guess if you were in like the trenches in World War One, it probably smelled like that. It's not good, dude. It was really horrible. And your face is just like, like I captured yeah. it. It was like you just like twisted up. I mean, it's like gut shot, you know. Like being a deer hunter, it's like uh, you know, Ugh. dad would be like, oh, you hit it in the guts. Yeah, you, that's all you. It's all you, yeah. dude. I'm not coming to help when I was like oh, 12. Dude. Oh, so you know, so you, you just hit. nicked it with a knife. Yeah. Like you didn't even, you didn't ah. break it all up. And then I remember, so we broke this these these two deer down, and the, then what happened after? We went. So Eric had his <laughs> the restaurant. Pickup though, it we wasn't open yet. So we're driving the pickup. Well, home. so we so the deer were in the back of this pickup truck, and we stopped to get gas at this sort of rednecky gas station. And I remember at one Boxed point we're getting in, gas and I'm looking over there and there's just blood leaking out of the back of our truck. Just running. Like, yeah, Snow running and blood just running back. out of the back. And there's just this pool of blood all around the <laughs> gas pump. And I'm like, what the fuck Some Dexter here? shit. They're yeah, like, totally. uh. So we drove back and we get back and we're like really breaking this thing down. And Peeper, remember, he told me a story. He was working at, Vin at Cinque Terre Yeah, at the time. dude. And he had his, and all the chefs got different parts of the deer. I think I had like I don't know. I remember, you had like the rack, which you yeah. Well, I'll talk about in a second, but like he had a leg, um, I think, didn't he? He had the livers. Livers. Yeah, and you just he's like yeah. So Josh just walks in the middle of service, right in the middle of service, with a trash bag dude. full of venison livers, <laughs> throws them over the line at me, and he's like, here you go, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I did, dude. Yeah, that chicken like, like right. a Friday night or yeah, something. Yeah, you just roll in with I'm these like... fucking deer livers, and uh, <laughs> well, probably blood. On and, my so hands. we got everybody their deer, and the party was it was great, and. uh I remember just the carnage the next day. You did like the rack. Yeah. Like the rib rack. Yeah, totally. Rib roast. And I remember 
it was that it was like 14th course, so nobody's really eating anymore. Wow. And I remember just waking up and it was just like on top of the heater in the living room. Yeah, just giant <laughs> bones. Like Brontosaurus. Giant bones. Yeah. yeah. We're like, like, yeah. With the heat just on it. Yeah. Oh I don't even know if I cooked it. November. I didn't even cook it. I was like, yeah, nope. Yeah. Course 14? Yeah, no. No, yeah, because we, we. That's we, called we, tequila shots. We learned a lot about human limits yep. at those parties. And so then we went on to do, you know, Japanese, which you missed, and then we did the. Uh, Grow Kill Forage, where you yep. did like the weed butter and yeah, all that. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, and so in between the last meal, which your dish the actually, your dish um, made it into the New York Times for that. But um, oh, we did the, so so I get a call from um, the producer of Andrew Zimmern's show for uh, Bizarre oh, yeah. Foods. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've heard we could come into Portland and do this episode. We're doing like Hugo's and 4th Street and Miyake. And I was working at Miyake. At the, no, I was working at Evangeline at the time. And, um, or maybe Miyaki too, but like, and he, they're like, yeah, dude, we'd love to do the, you know, the Portland death match is what they called it. Like as yeah. part of it. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, cool. Great. Yeah. Death match. And he's like, so what is it like a competition? Like you guys have yeah. like trophy, like, you know, and I'm like, well, not really. We just cook yeah. food. They're like, well, what if we make it a competition? I'm like, whatever. We can just do whatever you want. Sure. Yeah. And, get us on uh, TV. We're good. Yeah. Whatever. And they're like, we're going to do it on an Island. And I'm like, good, whatever. That way it'll be separated and it won't be confused with ours the ones we do normally. So we go out, <clears throat> long story short, Kel, Kel Nelson was Dude, the Dude, this uh, is one of the name. most brutal days of my life, yes. by the so way. so Josh and Brutal Kate, mornings until 1 p.m. Josh and Kate Squibb have chosen uh, June Bugs yes. as their course, which you foraged yourself. Yeah. Um, so you're doing June Bugs, which actually were amazingly delicious, the few you had. Uh, and so you guys are team June Bug. Yeah. And I remember the, the surly... Boat captain. The morning we had to be there at like seven a.m. to go out to this island. Dude. And Deets and I, who it's our party, we got there at like seven o three. And Kel, I was on the phone with the producer, and he's like, "I'm sorry, they they just left." So we had to get a fucking water taxi. I'm on the water taxi at like seven twenty. I'm just there's this picture of me actually. Heidi Powell did a painting of me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know the bottle that. of white wine, yeah. like Love on the boat. Painting. I had like three bottles, and I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm." Because we were all out there, and it was like adrenaline, you know? And like the island was cooler. It was like really hot. Yeah. I remember the minute we left the island later, just being so hammered. Like yeah. the heat oh, kicked in. Dude. I remember being on my lawn. People were all over, and I was just like rolling around in the lawn. I was all fucked up. But anyway, uh, not as fucked up as you were in the morning. So you Oof. made it to the boat. Yeah, but dude. But you were, it was your, was your birthday? Yeah, we had a double birthday party. Me and Sonia Tomlinson. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Santiago. Yes. Out at my house there, we had a like party that night before. We ripped it pretty hard, and it was like I went to bed at like three a, you know. Yeah, and, and you had to be up at like six thirty. Like get all your food and stuff to bring. Yeah, all that. Squib had all yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Squib had all that. I was like, she I just had better. to show up to the boat. Right. So like, dude, you had your Playboy I, sunglasses. Yeah, I that. woke up. I totally. I woke up. I was like, I feel great. Ugh. I feel great. Whew. Get in the truck, haul into town, dude, to get like halfway to. T- no, I got. Up to like uh, Congress Street, coming over the hill, and was like, uh, I think I'm gonna puke, dude. And just like <laughs> yeah. booted out of the truck, a couple times, pulled down there, and like was like, oh no, I'm like oh, I'm gonna go on a boat oh, now. No. Great. Yeah, I go yeah. get on the boat. There's all these cameras, all these people. I was like, oh my god. I'm like, I just went onto the back and just laid there, trying to like hold it. And it's like the ride to the where were we? Peaks or something? Uh, Cushing. Cushing. Yeah. All I can smell is diesel. I'm like literally holding, <laughs> holding, throwing up like as hard as I could. Kate's like, dude, are you going to be okay? I'm like, I don't know, man, if I'm going to make it. So we get out there and like the boat pulls to the dock and I just like 
They start shuffling people. I literally jumped onto the deck and just basically like threw up in my mouth and yeah. just held it. Oh, while well, people got off and it was just yeah. like, Bleh, and like, <laughs> dude, that continued up until filming. Yeah, I you. Just I remember at one point wrecked. there were these Adirondack chairs that were out yeah. on like the point, and you. Well, Ugh. first, first thing was I got there late because I had to take the fucking water taxi. You know, they left us. So when I get there, the producer comes up. He's like, "Listen, we have to talk about Team Junebug." <laughs> And I'm like, what? He's like, listen, you know, I'll kick them off the island. Like, they don't have to be on the show. Oh, yeah. Squib is like, Squib and the producer battle. Yeah, because she wanted to use her own tablecloths. Yeah. And they had, like, the green ones or yeah, whatever. Totally. Um, and he's like, I, I'm not, I won't hesitate. Like, they don't, you know, it's a privilege, not a right. And I yeah. was like, okay, look. You know, I just got here. I just shotgun three bottles of wine. I got these big, <laughs> stupid Gucci sunglasses on. I my sideburns and shit. Yeah. I made some chowder. You'll love it. Um, that's what I guess I just do. And I, I'm like, I'll, 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 I'll deal. So I remember, I'm like, I see Kate. I'm like, Kate, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, my partner is I'm like, all right, where the fuck is Josh? I'm looking shell. around for you. I'm looking around. And I look way out in this point, and there's this person passed out in that Adirondack <laughs> chair. And I'm like, I'll bet you that's fucking Josh. And I go up, and you're just like... <laughs> Million dollar yeah. point, dude. And those Playboy sunglasses are all I remember, like the bunny ears uh, on the side of yeah. them. Yeah. And you're just like out. And I'm like, dude, um, hey, Josh. Hey, buddy. You, uh, you going to make it? You going to be able to do it? And you're like, yeah, I just need like five ten. <laughs> and you did it. Like, you did the show. Oh, you were totally Lord. fine. And then you guys won. Which I'm I sure know. They yeah. They're trying to like interview me. I'm like, dude, I I'm good. I can't yeah. talk. I can't talk right you now. You guys won the contest for best. Yeah. Which, Andrew Zimmer's like, all right, Team Junebug. Right. And I'm like, yeah, Team Junebug. Here we go. I know. Then it played out. Like they played that episode for years. Like I go. No, my friends in Argentina watch. I've seen it. They're I know. Like, no, we just watched you on TV. Oh, you like, yeah, you were famous. They like, still play it. I guess. I, like, okay. They still play that episode. Yeah, they still, they still play. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And like, so but, it was worth it. And like I said, we, I remember everybody's on adrenaline when you're out there. And then like coming back, I remember there was a bunch of different boats. And the, and it was like, the minute we got closer to Portland, the heat kicked in. And everybody was just, I remember like, I actually passed out at one point upstairs in my room. And then John Dennison woke me up with like pizza. And I ate a piece of pizza and passed back out for 45 minutes. Then got up and came down and started drinking. It was like one of those kind of days. Well, the cool thing is that's like the camouflage of what Deathmatch really was. I mean, that's right. What, yeah. the, the world thinks that that was Deathmatch, but our Deathmatch <laughs> yeah. was like a was much different than that. Yeah, it was, afterwards. It was and the best. I think that the mess culminated, and this is what I'll, I'll finish up. Obviously, we've been talking about Deathmatch for a little while, but. Uh, it's an important part of what we did. So, For sure. Um, the last one we did was, fittingly, it was the Last Supper. So it was like a funeral. It was like your last meal yeah. on earth. Uh, and you are actually talked about in here. Uh, in the New York Times, they talk about Deathmatch in general. And they say, the first one was a foie gras gorge. And later themes have included venison, Japan, and most recently, death itself. An 18-course fantasia of a last meal. That dinner began predictably with Ocetra caviar, but spiraled toward feijoada, a huge croquembouche, which Krista did on a road pylon, totally. uh, and bacon and lettuce tomato sandwiches served by young women dressed as Catholic schoolgirls wielding hot mayonnaise <laughs> in squeeze bottles. Now, whose course do you think that was? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was uh, where fantasy becomes reality, my friend. I mean, I, you guys had me in my underwear with a bacon kerchief on, yeah. and the two girls, it was... Uh, Marissa and uh, Ashley. Ashley, and, yeah. Uh, and like, 
And I, I remember when it was time to start your course, the music gets cut. We had these massive clips speakers. And we put on Hopper Teacher. Yeah. Dude. And we had everybody in the driveway. We had a tent we rented. So everybody would sit down and they'd be straddled and fed, uh, you know, lettuce and tomato and bacon. And then I would come around with these, you had these mayo bottles covered in porn. And I yes. would squirt mayo into their mouth. And that was the just a little, just like a little bit. The deconstruct. I well, some of them like Big J. I remember for fun, oh, yeah. I squirted a lot. Yeah. Um, sorry, Jay. Obviously, but I, Jay. I just, I just kind of had to do it. He loves mayonnaise. But... <laughs> I love mayonnaise too. <laughs> so you know, but the funny thing was, like, when you're prepping the course, I mean, this is what this is what death matches. Like, I'm looking around. I'm like, where the fuck is Josh? Because the kitchen, you know, you're not around. And I find you upstairs in my room, you and Kate, like on my like beer, like where my clothes are. You're like assembling these things. Like later on. In the week, I found a bunch of bacon and lettuce like in my underwear yeah, drawer. Probably. Um, yeah, probably. And you guys were like assembling up there, and I remember like the two girls were like smoking butts in the. Yeah. Don't tell Deets still, but they're in, oh, <laughs> the, yeah. in the window smoking butts, oh, and uh, beautiful. And that's how it, you know, and that was towards the end of it, and it just symbolized like what that was, you know, like every song you heard generally through that party was from somebody's last day on earth. I got the yeah. playlist put together, and, and like you could somber and totally, but you can also like it. it the free, the creative freedom with that thing is like you can do anything you want. So yeah. So that BLT is like okay, I can serve any BLT a, a million different ways, but like, how about that? It's like theater involved. Of like when have you had a BLT well, uh, with someone on your lap? When Josh Pataki does a course, you know. It's not going to be like, well, I just made some BLTs. Nope. <laughs> it's going to be some shit going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got to make was. it interesting. And then we finished that party off by. It was three in the morning, and we took off that guy Jerry's prosthetic leg, and we filled it with absinthe, and we were handing around the kitchen, drinking absinthe out of his leg, which is kind of gross when I think about it. But how else are you going to end your last day on Earth? Yeah, I mean... Just with a prosthetic leg full of absinthe. It might have have been a cocktail. It might have been a corpse survivor. I don't remember. John Myers was involved, so... (laughs) Probably. might have been a corpse survivor. survivor. If you're like me and you're a fan of really good bourbon, uh, you'll love... uh, Today, the show is brought to you by Legion Bourbon. Uh, it's a collaboration, basically, between uh, Booker's and Suntory. So Booker's out of Kentucky. Suntory, very famous whiskey from Japan. Uh, so you get a really interesting kind of uh, east meets west there. You get the, the nuance of Japanese whiskey and the sort of backbone from the Kentucky. Uh, it's aged in uh, sherry and red wine casks. Just a lot of nice, like, fruity nuance to it. It's got some kick, as I found out the hard way per usual the problem is when bourbon is really good like that i like to pour it into a wine glass and then i start drinking it uh at the same pace i drink wine and i start swirling it and i'm just having a good old time and next thing you know i look over and the bottle is almost gone so that's what i do um but what i also wanted to talk about for most normal people uh we come to come up with a really great cocktail uh bourbon you obviously think of the uh classic mint julep you know stupid hats kentucky derby and whatnot uh, we thought it'd be cool to kind of add a Japanese twist to the classic julep. So basically, uh, we do a combination of mint and shiso. Uh, shiso is a, a Japanese herb that's uh, got a nice kind of floral uh, quality to it. Uh, figured uh, it'd be nice to kind of start the drink, get one of your silver cups. Uh, you want to muddle some uh, shiso mint. Uh, make a simple syrup out of palm sugar. Uh, a little more of an Asian style there, just to kind of make it different, uh, add a little more interest to it. Uh, so you want to muddle up your herbs in the in the uh, palm sugar simple syrup uh, with your bourbon. 
And then add crushed ice. Basically, you want to make it into essentially a, uh, a bourbon snow cone is what you want it to be. Uh, so you want to pile it up, you know, as if you're making like an old school uh, snow cone. Uh, and then you want to top it with, uh, with bitters. Angostura works, but I mean, if there's any bitters, there's so many different kinds now. Whatever you like uh, would work there. No problem. Uh, and then garnish it with a big uh, bushel of uh, shiso and mint and the way you drink it. Some people like the metal straw, but I like to take it and you put your nose right in the herbs and you tip that thing back. So you're drinking, you're tasting the bourbon and the bitters and a little bit of sweetness while you're inhaling all the aromatics from the from the herbs, from the shiso and the mint. It's just a great uh, drinking experience. And that's what it's all about, right? If you're gonna go out of the way, you got your way to make a cocktail, you know, make it an experience. You know, we're not just making screwdrivers here. That's not what we're doing. So, Legion Bourbon, uh, the best of both worlds, East meets West. That was Deathmatch. And that led in, uh, eventually, a few years later, um, I had moved away, but you had started doing Pocket Brunch. Yeah. Which eventually is what, is what became Bread and Butter Catering. So yeah. tell me about the evolution of, of Pocket Brunch and what that was. Pocket Brunch, Pocket Brunch was literally, like, I mean, obviously post-deathmatch, there was a little gap. And then I can't even remember, dude. We were hanging out with Joel somewhere. Yeah. Maybe Joel and Nick. And we're yeah, like, yeah. they're like, Joel's like, I really want to have a brunch, like a really fancy brunch, you know? And I'm <laughs> like, okay, well, let's do it, dude. At your house, like, you know, it's perfect for that. It's like a courtyard out there. It's like New Orleans courtyard. Like, let's make a brunch. Yeah. Invite our friends like we do. Like, like Deathmatch was. Let's just party. Let's have a brunch and party. Yeah. And uh, so we did, dude. We, it we, felt like a restaurant. We did that. Yeah, but it was because it was all people like the same, you know, not the same people, but like restaurant people. And people who we hang out with anyway, who happen to be chefs and waiters and you know, sommeliers and whatever. That was when Brandon Baltzley was around, remember? <laughs> yes, I do. Yep. yep. Baltzley did come around then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very different now. He's like vegan and stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah whatever, yeah, yeah. dude. Like, he was wanting to be part of that scene, but... We, we let him in. Yeah, he's, yeah. He got a taste. <laughs> he got a taste. He got a taste of uh, that <laughs> vision. Um, yeah, so we did that uh, at Joel's, and it was, it was awesome. We had a really great time. The food was awesome. Yeah, it just was fun. And then, yeah, I remember feeling like the dining room, you're sitting above, it actually literally felt like one of those restaurants that's in an old house. Totally. You know, or at this table that's in all these different dining rooms, it felt like it was just, and the food was delicious. It was awesome. Yeah, and then I think it evolved, I think maybe we did another one. I don't know, because it was so successful. I well, don't remember. Well, you did, you did several. We well, you met. did, the next one you did at Nosh, you did yeah. the oddities, where everything was sort of, but and that I, was actually where I had the only dish that I didn't enjoy of the whole pocket brunch. And the reason was Nana was bartending. He didn't tell me, and he fed me one of those spilanthas. Oh, yeah. And if you've ever had one of those, they basically make your mouth like Novocaine. Totally not. he gave me one of those, and then you immediately served this course that was like ocean in a jar. It was. You know what? That, that was like, <laughs> looking back on that, like that course was pretty cool. But you know yeah. what? I thought about it, I'm like... Dude, it's basically like eating low tide in a jar. It was for a pretty yucky, Hawaii. especially like, <laughs> when your mouth is filled with Novocaine. Right? And I was oh. like, <laughs> like this You're like some periwinkles and mussels and like sea. It was a little like, rugged. It was cool. Dashi or something, but <laughs> whatever. I don't remember what it actually tasted like, like I said, because my mouth was busy being totally numb. Yeah. And it was, I remember it tasted carbonated to me because of the spilanthus. Yeah. So you can imagine how that Carbonated felt. ocean water. Yeah. <laughs> What's this? No, it wasn't awesome, but like... I feel like I, in Japan, they probably have those in like soda machines, but... 
totally. <laughs> I don't know if we ticketed. I didn't know if we, when we started doing tickets and stuff like that. You know. I thought you did tickets for for that, that one. one. I think you did the first one was the only one you did without tickets. Okay, so I guess we started ticketing and Katie. You know, Katie, my beautiful wife, Katie Shire, Pataki. Uh, you know, she curated all of that and the design and the art and like, yeah. and just pulling all of this together. You know, she did the menus and designing all that stuff. So like, yeah, we kind of all meet up and like be like, okay, here's our kind of theme. And you got real into the theme, like French Canadian or yeah, yeah. Mardi Gras. Yep. And then or, we'd pick the guest chef and we'd, you know, do the theme thing where it was like, you know, getting all the decorations and make it an experience. And High uh, Roller with Rob Evans was totally. So we're, awesome. so we're, yeah, we're bringing in, like, got to work with Rob, which was awesome, you know, like, Rob, obviously, at that time for me was, like, you know, a guy I aspired to, you know, yeah. as a chef in Portland, obviously, yeah. but now that I've gotten to know Rob as a good friend, it's, like, you know, it's well, awesome, it's yeah. awesome, yeah. dude, so that was... And now you're, like, of course he did that, before you're, like, really, Rob wants to do this? I know, and of course like, he did. obviously he wants to do yeah. it, it's fucking fun. It like, was really yeah. fun, and, like... Those were all fun, you know. We got ticket. We started doing the ticket stuff, and also we broke even or lost money, but it was fun. And like all of our friends were like volunteering to do it, and like you know, it was people in our scene trying to like stay together, really. And I used and, to come back from Boston just for those. I remember, not the, yeah. not the Boston's that far away, but like you know, I'd be like, I'm totally. It was an experience, and like. You know, it's like a every art thing, a moment in time. Like, and then you did another one. Wasn't there a farm one? Remember, I sat on a bale of hay. Yeah, at Broad Turn, at, Carl. Carl Dubin. Yeah, what was the theme of that? No, that wasn't Mexican. Was it? No, Mexican. No, nah, we did that with Max out at Caswell. Chilaquiles. I remember yes, delicious Chilaquiles. that. Chilaquiles. I remember the one with the bale of hay, and I remember like just slowly sinking into the hay. Yeah, that could longer have been I sat on the hay. Yeah, it was that one was great? But like we all these guest chefs we got to work with, and like I don't know, it was like a collaboration all the time and super fun all the time, and I was learning all the time from different chefs and like, you know, it was like like again saying music how people still get together and they create this like super group and it's like you have a chance to do that uh or a platform to do that with with the chefs in portland it's super cool man and it's the people that you want to do it with not the ones who are yeah arrogant yeah and, they, and you get to you get to do it and create the menu with them and like and you know the sky is the limit yeah you're like oh well he's, the ticket money's paying for your food so like just do whatever i mean obviously we're not eating ostra out of a you know, kilo tin. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> but no, but the food was, I mean, the food was definitely up to par with the yeah, setting. Yeah, for sure. And again, I mean, it, it sort of bled and it became your catering company. Yeah. I mean, like the aesthetic initially it for did. bread and butter was essentially the aesthetic from Pocket Brunch. Yeah, it, it definitely mean, just carried into that. And, yeah. you know, so like. It's hard to believe it's been what, like nine years now, eight years? Something like that. I mean, Pocket Brunch kind of died, you know? I was coming back to cook with you guys at Bread and Butter in 2013. Yeah. Remember the Shattered Dream team? Totally. Did. And that was a rough day. That was a hard day. <laughs> Very hard day. <laughs> I remember we got for a tip, we got a jelly basket or something. Yeah. I had like hiccups that would not stop. <laughs> oh my God, you had the fucking hiccups. And heartburn. I was we like, were I'm so going to die. Late. I'm going to die. We were like yeah. two hours late and I had to be like. Like I was pissed. Listen. Okay, I know, party planner, that you're probably upset. We're sorry, but let's just get this done. Yeah, right let's now. go. Let's just go. Get out of the way. We got to light a fire and cook some and fish. Then, that was when they, oh my God, I'll never forget that. That was like, it was so funny. That was like the very beginning because now you're like this well-oiled machine that's yeah. like, yeah. you know, probably one of the most successful catering companies, I would say, in the state that's not, and, I mean, especially considering how long you've been around. Yeah, yeah. But this particular one. It was like, dude. Just every was just like, remember the coffee. Somebody forgot the coffee. Yeah. And the coffee had to be. And then all of a sudden, everybody just sort of left me. 
standing there in front of the cake, in front of the wedding cake. cake. And I was like, people like, are you going to cut the cake up for us? And I'm like, like, I don't want to cut the cake. (laughs) Like, I think I had like a serrated knife was all (laughs) I had. And I'm like, I'm like trying to look for an escape strategy, but there was no escape room. So I had to like hack this cake into fucking pieces basically <laughs> and just sort of you know hand out enough that I could run away yeah dude. because people are like where's our coffee and I'm like ah. <laughs> I'm like here's the cake I have to go now I'm gonna go to a truck over there and lay down in it <laughs> and wait until this is all over until this is over yeah that was oh uh, my god but that was just like it's just like growing pain yeah well there's some like, growing pains for sure I mean we kind of you know the the pocket brush kind of tapered off. It obviously fizzled out a little bit because, like you, you said, with the tickets open to the public, it's like become something else. It was super fun, but then we were just like, okay, we're about to have a baby. Yeah. And we're well, like, if you're gonna okay. Do tickets and spend and money, you might as well do a catering. Yeah, and we just didn't know what to do. And we're right. like, we have to do something more than just 158 because it's like can't support a baby and like a house and all this other stuff. So, you know, we're like, well, we're doing that pocket brush pretty well. Uh, maybe you know I had done a bunch of private catering and private chefing in general anyway so I'm like I can do this yeah. I can do this and about that time I had uh, landlord Doug Watts you know Sopo yeah. Wine yeah of course I, I was but, working for them at the time yeah I know Doug and Cat forever like Doug was like hey I just bought this building like uh, we got this warehouse space you want to check it out I was like sure <laughs> why not go check it out I'm like, dude, it's like 4,500 square feet. This shop's like 1,500. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Go in there, I'm like, wow, this is big. I'm like, how much do you want for it? He's like, oh, 1,200 bucks a month. I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. You know, String like. String the pirate flag up right no away. No idea yeah. what I was going to do. I'm like, I'll just skateboard around in it for a month for 1,200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a, part, a couple parties. I like, mean, you, know, you know, I could live there or whatever, <laughs> which a couple people did. You know? <laughs> I kind of remember that. Yeah. <laughs> So we just rented that warehouse, dude. I was like, all right. And Katie, we're like, okay, let's do this. Where'd you get all your equipment and everything? Uh, you know, it was like building any other restaurant I'd done at that time. I you know, did, a, did this space at Bar Lola. I, I was doing this before that in Atlanta, like just dealing, we used restaurant equipment and stuff. So just picking pieces and we had a super low budget and, you know, we got it done. We got the kitchen built. And we started getting jobs. We're taking anything. I was just started like rolling, you know. It was like slow starting, the and then it was like a it. snowball, dude. And we we're like growing like a hundred percent plus every year. And at least I'm you like, have access ah. to a great crew. You know, you got like a lot yeah. of resources. Which well, is the great. depth through all of this, and you know, I think obviously not burning lots of bridges in, in the town <laughs> is it was huge, and like keeping those relationships open and good, you know with a network in this town and restaurants, as you know, is super important. Yep. Uh, and we've done that. So you have this, like, you know, these people that you could dig with and like, be like, Hey, we got this going on. And a lot of people are like, you know, in the industry from where we were at, or like, you know, getting a little bit older or whatever, I might not want to like work the restaurant scene, but I mean, like, it's usually the logical transition yeah. is to catering. It's a set thing. Well, and you can just do a weekend day and it's <clears> like, <throat> you know, you come in and just bust it out with your crew and it's super fun. And like, it's something different. You make some pretty good money. Like what? That's what you want. Yeah. So, you know, it just transferred and became pretty successful. And now, and you know, then, then all of a sudden at a certain point, it was like, anytime anybody asks, for a cater recommendation, it's like bread and butter just kind of blurted out. That's like that's the first thing on most people's yeah, minds. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. You know, because Aurora's gone. Yeah. 
and, and that was they used to they were like they ruled like the early 2000s like basically the two, first 10 years in the 90s and that was the transition dude we yeah. we saw Black a, a little window yeah. and we stepped in just at the right time yeah you did right place right time and it was just like aurora fell off we stepped in and just went you know and obviously, there's some other caterers that have come up, and they're good. And I mean, some of the gigs that you've got are pretty goddamn impressive. Yeah, they're so, crazy. You, you know, know, I was going from, like, cooking for, you know, whatever, here on the line, 100 people to 200, pushing it to three to four to seven. Yeah. Then we're like, we just fed, like, uh, you know, 1,800 people today. That's crazy. With, like, three weddings and some other gig going on. Yeah. I'm like... But you was like trial by fire. Like, you know how to do it. Yeah. It's actually easier to feed more people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So more like, as long as it's thing, cohesive, yes. yeah. as long as everything's cohesive menu wise, like it's easier to cook that big. Uh, and it was fun. It's super fun. Nice. So yeah, now it's a little, you know, it's slowed Oof. down with COVID and stuff, but. But the thing is you've stayed whatever. plenty busy through COVID. I mean, yeah. I've heard, I mean, I've heard actually from my friends who work for other catering companies and it sounds like a fucking nightmare. A lot of them, like yeah. people from out of town who come and they like, don't wear masks and shit. Yeah, and, it like, is. It's hard. Dude. I mean that how, like catering. I, and I mean, yeah, people do what they want at the wedding and you're like, okay, we're trying to protect our crew. We're obviously masking, but if you're coming to the bar, yeah, we just make it mandatory. We're like, you're, that's what you're doing. If you want to drink, yeah, you're going to put the fucking mask on. That's them, it. Like. Or people just at weddings, off. as we know, are very entitled. And as I've said a million times, like, you know, the minute the open bar is over, it's ghost town. Yeah, it's hard to control that, though, too, <laughs> yeah. with, when the open bar does happen. You're like, yeah. these people are like, we're paying money for this wedding. Like, we want to do whatever we want. And you're like, okay. We own you. Yeah, basically. And we and own they the kinda space. Do, but it's like, with this stuff, it's like different, you know? It's like, okay, well, you're not going to, like, kill us. So... <laughs> <laughs> right. Whatever. Yeah. Tough shit. <laughs> you don't own us. Yeah. You know. We got. We already have some money of yours. Yeah. And you're not getting that back. Right. So, just so you know. But it hasn't been too bi- too big of a deal with that. We didn't really do a lot of jobs this past year because of COVID. But like well, the, the fact that you did any at all. I mean, it must have been a certain point where you're like, we're not gonna do. Shit. Yeah. Now we did a couple, and that was about it. But like, you know, this summer, I'm hoping it's gonna open up a little more. I would imagine. I mean, and, and even just people being more, I think people now are just more understanding of how to be more respectful and, and safer about sure. it. You know, yeah. back then when it was more like, I feel like a lot of those people have dropped off. I mean, you're, you're a rare bird in that, like, you're one of the few, although I randomly have like a few friends, you and like the people who just are not on social media. No. Who've never been on social media? No. There's like I it's think you have like a LinkedIn rude. page somebody made for you I somewhere. Did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Long but time like ago. you are not a, and I feel like that must be very liberating to still it's be able to live a life freedom, without dude. social media. It literally, is free. My and, freedom. But the one thing you've noticed in social media is like there's less of those people. Although maybe it's because I of blocked course. them all. Who are like it's not real. It's just flu. You know, like right. it's all like a because like not like four hundred thousand people are dead. Yeah, you know, so there's less people just actively being like, "Don't wear a mask." But yeah, you're like you cannot, but it's certainly real. I mean, people are dead. Yeah, I mean, I so whatever. Yeah, I had it. It yeah. was it sucked. I didn't die. <laughs> but it was, no, but some people do. And, they do. And whatever. Like I don't want to be responsible for that. No, exactly. If I can help that, why not? It's very simple. Yeah, it's so simple. Like just don't be a dink. So, we've had we 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 have generally a lot of. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of start wrapping it up with with talking about you know we had a lot of adventures. I remember we um, one of my favorite one was one of my fondest memories was doing the Eastport episode oh, of Food Coma TV. Lord, dude. You and Katie accompanied Joel and Alex Wild. and Kurt. And I, 
And it was like, I remember that was one of those things where the first night, somebody, didn't I get carried home on a tractor or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, like a mule. Like one of those, like, John Deere mule with a dump truck Because I drank, did I drink a bottle of Rumpelman's or Yeah, or tequila, something. something. Yeah, I had fire. that bottle of Cazadores. fire. Yeah, there was a fire, and there was that cocky the bird. Yeah, dude, cocky. They're attacking us, the <laughs> yeah. chicken. That place, dude, that was like a But Eastport, it just, like, you go to certain places in Maine, and what I like about Eastport, the first thing you notice is you're like, every single house is a for sale sign. And we're talking to our contact there, and I'm like, so they're all, he's like, well, yeah, everything's technically for sale. Yeah. People just put the sign on. If you want to buy it, I'm sure there's a price. Ross. <laughs> it could be at Ross. He's like, I'm the mayor. <laughs> I so mean, I'm what? the mayor. If there's a price, yeah. I'm sure people will sell it. They'll sell it. Yeah. So, I mean, But it just seemed like the right town to be blacked out in the whole uh, time. Uh, and I yeah. was blacked out. Yeah. It was hard. It was a, that was a rough one. <laughs> it was. I remember just, I remember I'm doing an interview. I don't know if it was the second morning or the third morning. We were up there for the weekend, and like, even in the interview, Alex is like, "You look like such a fucking mess right now." <laughs> I'm sitting there with like the bottle of Casadores on the. Oh, yeah. I just on bought a porch. couple of them. We we're on the porch out there. Oh my god, I'm doing the journey. I had the oh tattoo sleeve on. And I was singing Journey. Yeah, um, we got rowdy up there. We did. Uh, but speaking of getting rowdy, I think uh, you, you got to see a side of me that a lot of people don't get to see. I didn't get to see it because I was pretty drunk. But when we went to see Slayer that time. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> that, was be- that, that, like, I still tell the story, like, quite a bit with any Slayer fan, obviously. I'm like, oh, dude. So we were at that Slayer show in Portland last time that they came through. I don't even know. We, I just met you there. Like, all, yeah. obviously, Metalheads were there. Right. Uh, and almost all the ones I know were there. Yeah. And... So we Slayer starts and we're talking, we're like partying a little bit, whatever. Yeah. And at some point, dude, you were, you, I mean, you knew all of it. You're like, just like it, you know, it's happening. You're fully in it, just covered in sweat. And like, I know I looked over though at one point and you're just like, kind of like head banging and thrashing around. And I see these people that's like flying off of you. Kind of like you would see maybe like a bunch of beagles attacking a grizzly bear. You know, Joe's is like, didn't even know he was hitting these people. They were just flying, dude. Like this little tiny girl flying across the room. You're just like, and like, it was so awesome, dude. And like, we just were raging there. And like, that show was amazing, dude. Yeah, I, um, I remember at one point I was like feeling it so hard because I mean I love Slayer and it was like and they were playing like Spill the Blood and stuff from yeah. like South of Heaven like they were playing oh, yeah. music, you know oh, yeah. and so I remember at one point I remember Bozzy was working bar oh, yeah. and at one point like the mentality I started to get into I got a beer and I'm like I just want to just chuck this fucking thing just throw, throw it. it over the crowd because the know? aggression in there yeah, I was like feeling the, so aggressive the energy was aggressive oh, yeah. and I was like okay don't do that because then you're not going to be able to finish the show because they're going to throw you out if you just take the beer and chuck it at everybody. Totally. But I or start like, a riot. Leave, I want to start a riot. I was ready to fight. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not generally no, everybody's the joke ready that people to fight. know. Uh, but I can, get, I can get rowdy. And uh, enough Jameson and fucking, I think it was like Budweiser Jameson and Jameson. Jameson Slayer, dude. Like, yeah. I was it. fucking ready to ready fuck to go. shit up. And I remember like, I lived right around the corner. It was the State Theater. So I lived right around the corner on Cumberland and High. And I remember yeah. leaving that show. And it was like I was like scared. Summer. I was like scared when I left that. There was so many people dumping oh, out. It was still like light out. Yeah. Because it was like seven o'clock, but it was like summertime. It was like May or something. So I remember walking to my house, and on the way to my house, it was like a five-minute walk. Like I remember all of the adrenaline wearing off and being like, I remember I lived on the third floor. I remember having to crawl up my stairs because I, I was so it. drunk. 
because all that shit just wore off and hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. I mean, could you imagine people from out of town coming and walking by that door opening? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Being yeah. like, this is Portland, Maine. Yeah. And like all of oh. Portland Slayer fans, just, or Maine Slayer fans, they yeah. probably mass pour into the street. Like, oh, fuck. Because we all knew. <laughs> it's like, you got to see Slayer while you can. There can't be that many more. And Jeff yeah. Hammond was still alive. Yeah. Uh, was. I think he was. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, I think it was. I think he was. Whatever, dude. It was intense. Like, you know. I just think it's funny because you, like, you, I, I like that you tell that story because I, uh, I don't. You I didn't, didn't see yourself. To, I didn't get to you see didn't see it. yourself, but that was my experience. And I saw it was like the best thing ever. I just remember looking over and being like, I was very coherent still. Yeah. And just being like, yes. Yeah. Yes. I had like my upside down cross, like rogues t-shirt. On. <laughs> yeah. Where I was ready to fuck just people up. Fucking but, it up, dude. Um, well, you know, I think there's no better way really to call it than talking about Slayer yes, and uh, fucking agree. shit up. So I agree. Um, that was awesome. Kind of getting back into it. I know the whole, like, Seeing the world is very different now. Yeah, it uh, is. I feel really fortunate to have been all the places we were when we were totally there. Dude. Yeah, you know, just yeah. awesome memories and like, and, and I don't. I'm not like one of those bitter, jaded people. I'm like everybody I'm sucks now. They I'm just don't either. know. I'm not either. It's like, but I, I feel like there's a lot of that, and I I've been talking about this lately with a few people. You know, people are like, oh man, Portland's ruined. Blah blah blah. It's like, is it? I don't think it is. There has no. to be a sacrificial lamb at some point. Yeah. And if that's uh, the lamb that we had to sacrifice to get to be able to have a house uh, and have like a kid and have these shops and you're able to like make a living off this scene or like the stuff we created, I think that's a success story. Yeah, right? unless you can stop people from getting older <clears throat> and the world from changing, oh, you know, exactly. you're gonna have to just accept that things are gonna be different. They're gonna be different. That happens know? in every big city, yeah. you know. Be happy like, with the memories you have, you know. Yeah. So I was happy to be part of that with you, dude, and like, and all of these people in our world, and that's like our connection, you know. So it's like it doesn't really matter what happens. We still have that connection. The best part, the smartest thing I did was date a lot of photographers. Yeah, uh, hell that yeah. worked out well. There's so much documentation. You walk in there with like you know, a couple of ladies on your arm and a photographer. Yeah, it doesn't even matter who you are. If yeah. you're like, who is that dude? You're like, I'm like I'm fucking Joe, Joe Riccio. Riccio. And this is all going to be well documented in 2021. Yeah, we're going to look at this and be like, that's right. That's right. It's documented. You know, it's, I'm not just. I'm not making this up. No, it's um, awesome. Anyway, I want to thank uh, Josh Pataki for joining us on the show. Uh, Josh is the co-owner of Bread and Butter Catering, Southside Bakery. And 158 Bakery, uh, the old school clubhouse is a Portland institution at this point, I could say. Yes. Uh, if you haven't been to 158, I mean, you know, got to hit it up. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Yes, uh, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. I'm Joe Riccio. This is the Fukuoma Podcast. <laughs>